by the worship. Matt, thank you, the rest, for leading us. Catherine and Sarah, thank you, um, our dear little ones. <clears throat> got, they got all that gift from Rob, from Daddy. There is no doubt about that. It's great to have Thane and Rachel and family visiting with us from up north. There are believers in New England. There's proof of it right here. <clears throat> it has been, it has been such an incredible week, has it not, of festivities. As a matter of fact, it wasn't that long ago that we were all gathered here um, on Christmas Eve to a full house. And we rejoice um, in the opportunity to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I have to tell you the truth, my, my favorite part of this entire week so far has been at that um, Christmas Eve service. Um, sitting up in the front a couple rows was our family, and it was our granddaughter, Noelle's, very first Christmas ever. And one of the songs that we sang right out of the gate was this song called Noel, Noel, the first Noel. And as we began to sing that song, a little granddaughter heard hundreds of people calling her name. And even at seven months old, her eyes are wide looking around. She, she heard the, the, the angels did say, Noel, Noel. And it was such a precious sight. You know, it also reminded me that a lot of times when we come to church, we're kind of like that little adorable seven-month-old little girl, where, where we come to think like, <gasps> they're singing about me. No, no, no. Let me remind you as politely as I can, as I oftentimes do, it's not about you. This, this gathering here this morning, it's not about you. It is a delight, a privilege, a gift to gather like this, but let's keep our focus on the Lord first and foremost. We are here by His grace. We have a text before us that I want us to read. You can follow along. I don't think the words will be here this week. I gave Pastor Josh a week off, so you, you, you have ears to hear. So listen very carefully from a text of Scripture that reminds us that we're here this morning and every Sunday that we gather for the Lord, for His glory and for His glory alone. Our text begins with this, Matthew chapter 6 in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you bow our heads and pray with me?
Father, apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be terrified, terrified to come into your holy presence. We recognize your holy and hallowed name. We recognize your sovereign authority, as we will be reminded of in a moment. Father, but we thank you that we don't have to come trembling in fear, but we come, Lord, as those who have been declared righteous, justified in your presence because of the work of Jesus. Regardless of how sinful, how sin-filled our lives, our hearts, our minds are, whatever actions that we have ever committed they're an offense to you and to your name. Through your love and through the gift of grace that's been extended in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We hold on to that. We hug tight to that now and we claim the name of Jesus as we come into your presence. And Lord, as we are, as we are on the threshold, literally on the threshold of the door closing on one year, an amazing year, but also a really challenging year for many, many, many people. We ask, Lord, that your kingdom will come and that your will be done on earth, in this place, in our own lives and hearts, in our homes, in this community. Father, we desperately need you. We plead for you to work in us. God, I would ask if there's a person here today that's sitting, that's hearing, that's listening to this message that does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. For all of them, call them. You talk, God. Your words are far more powerful than any man's. Speak now. And may your children, may your creation hear. We ask this. In the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's a familiar um, phrase. Uh, we know that we have been, what, after recognizing God's unique power, his position, his authority, his sovereignty, um, God actually allows us, he's called us and he's chosen us to actually help extend, it says, his kingdom. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. Many people don't realize that that phrase, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is one of the most well-used um, and familiar phrases in all of the New Testament, literally used dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And we understand that it is in this structure where God rules over us that the kingdom of, of God abides in a couple different ways, just by way of introduction this morning. It abides first and foremost in what is referred to as a universal sense. The kingdom of God, we know that he is over everything. Everything in the world, everything that you see and touch, everything that you hear is all under his rule. He is king of the universe. I'm reminded of the author who writes in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Listen to this. On the kingdom of God, everything in a universal sense being under his authority. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. You hear me say it all the time. There isn't a speck of dust that we see moving in the lights that is not under the control of God's sovereign reign and rule. He has absolute authority. We know the kingdom of God abides in a universal sense. We also know that the kingdom of God abides in what is referred to as a redemptive sense. In this prayer, we know it as the Lord's Prayer. It is the redemptive kingdom, the supernatural realm in which you and I, as followers of Jesus, those who who are believing people are actually called and we are commissioned to advance His kingdom for His glory. That's what we do here. How does that happen? It happens first and foremost through salvation. We are to pray for the souls of other people to come to know Jesus. We're to constantly speak with boldness and clarity the full truth of the gospel and trust the sovereign God to draw people unto himself. We do this through what? Through evangelism. We do this through through discipleship. We also know that what the redemptive sense of the kingdom of God abides through sanctification. That's us painfully, even chiseling one another, smoothing us, speaking into one another's lives, learning and growing to be set apart to holiness for his purpose, for his calling in our lives. Not what we want, it's what he wants, his will be done. We do this through what? The reminder of the second coming. We talked about this just the other day. A literal second coming where God establishes his reign and rule in his kingdom once and for all. So we have this job before us, and I periodically will stop, just as we're doing, we're kind of getting off the Philippians train for one week, and we're asking this morning, how are we doing in this task? A huge task. So our job this year in in 2019 is to fulfill God's work establishing the kingdom of God. Really? Like that's... It's huge, but it's doable. I have given considerable thought. The elders, the other pastors and I have been meeting and praying specifically on on how are we doing on accomplishing what God has called us to do as a local church in this community. You know that we have established, it goes all the way back to 2013, a, a very specific vision. We call it Vision 2020. That we exist, okay, to build relationships with one another, with those in this community, so that God is glorified and lives, homes, and families are transformed, literally changed through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's necessary for us to just stop and and ask, how are we doing in that? There's four components, four key components to that vision that I have asked you these questions in the past, and I'm asking you again this morning, and I will ask you in the future. Those four areas are what relationships, community, transformed, and gospel. And so literally, as we are turning the the calendar page, I want you to ask yourself, 
four questions. The first one is this, and you can write this down and remember. How am I doing at building meaningful relationships? New Year's is a time to assess. Put away the silliness of I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, yes, that's cool, okay, but, but first and foremost, let's focus on what matters a thousand years from now, and that's the kingdom of God. Ask yourself, how am I doing in building meaningful relationships? You will hear me say it over and over and over and over, and you're sick of hearing it, but I'm going to keep telling you, people matter. Souls matter. And so we build relationships with a purpose. I call it relational intentionality. You see, because you and I suffer from the same disease, I find it very, very easy that we kind of work and move and walk our way through life with blinders on. We see those things that are immediately in front of us that we want to see. My home, my family, my little yard, my little workplace, my office, my church. Our gifts, our responsibilities. And, and what I'm reminding you about, I had an old baseball coach that used to tell me all the time, if you're not moving when the ball is hit, you're just, you're just sucking air and taking up space. Painfully, but truthful. I don't want us to be a church that God has lavishly poured out his grace upon us. I don't want us to be a church that just sucks air and takes up space. It's not what we're about. And so I'm encouraging you as I have to be reminded to what? Move through life and remind you to keep your eyes wide open. Lift up your head and look around. I want you to lean into other people's lives and see other people all around us every day. People who are lost, that are lost. Talk to them. And they're alone. They're looking for something. They're looking for someone. You talk to people and they have questions. They're looking for answers for. And they're wondering. And they're worrying. Like, what's next? Why am I here? What am I doing? And we live in a world today that people are filled with a sense of just, 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 just endless fear. Which brings worry. I think that is a hunger. I think it develops a thirst. I would be quick to correct myself in saying there's not everyone out there that is hungry and thirsty for the truth. I think that some people sadly are, are, are blinded and perfectly blissful in their blindness. Pray for them and love them. It's sad, but it's true. So what I want us to do as a church is to cross this threshold over the next 48 hours is to pray very specifically and ask God to show you those who are looking for answers in life, who are looking for hope. I want you to pray very specifically. God, show me people who are lost and looking for love. Show interest in their lives rather than just your own life. Ask other people questions. We're going to build relationship with our neighbors. Then if your neighbor wants to talk about his lawn tractor, then ask questions about his lawn tractor. I don't know anything about lawn tractors, to tell you the truth. 
But I, I got to read something. I got to learn something so I can ask him. I had neighbor one time. When I had neighbors, the kids um, who had a couple up, uh, doors up from us, they had pigs as, as um, I think they were pets, but they ate them. There's no, no doubt about that. And so as I would visit them, I had to learn about, to talk about, and ask questions about, like, that's a big pig there. Like, how big does that pig get? I mean, it was rough. But if, if they're interested in that, learn about that and ask questions and, and listen to them. And we'll talk about the little girl's soccer team. Then you'll go to the little girl's soccer team and cheer for her. That's the stuff that matters. People don't, people don't care what you know until they know. We know that it is modeled, oh, it is modeled so well. The Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated this as a philosophy of ministry. He modeled this over and over and over and over again. Go to scripture, John chapter 3, listen to his conversation with Nicodemus. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus. If someone was sick, if someone was crippled, blind, hungry, Christ saw that and he leaned in. Last I checked, we're to be followers of Christ. Christians, once like Christ, we follow his example. It says in Luke chapter 2, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And his neighbors looked at him and actually liked him at some level. Because he offered something that the rest of the world was not offering. A listening ear and a heart that was concerned and caring. So what do we do here? We come to worship. Noel, Noel, it's all about, no, sorry, honey. That's your wicked, deprived heart that's kind of revealing itself. We come here to worship and focus on the glory of God alone. And it will fill the earth. As Pastor Aaron prayed earlier, like the water fills the sea. So let's, let's practice, let's focus on that. So we come here to church and we, we, we are taught and Lord willing we learn, we're, we're fed, we're to be nourished and strengthened and encouraged. Why? So we can just glow together around our own dinner table. No. So that we burst out of here. We burst out of here excited, ready to go through another week, another year. Building relationships, pouring into other people's lives with a purpose, with a purpose that they hear about and they know the hope and the peace and the joy that we have in Jesus. Thus what? Doing our tiny little part to extend his kingdom for his glory. How we have to need, how, how we need to, to learn Apostle John said it like this, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love one another. It continues on in 1 John in chapter 3, verses 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. 
ask yourself this question. This is the time to check up. This is time to assess and evaluate. How am I doing at building meaningful relationships, particularly with those who are lost and need of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Secondly, number two, how am I doing? Ask yourself this. Write this down. Discuss this as a family. Chisel one another on this. How am I doing at knowing and understanding my community? If we're praying, what, that, that, that lives, that hearts, that homes, that families are transformed. What, what, what are those things? That's our community. When you think about that we exist to extend the kingdom of God, His kingdom, His will be done. And we start with what? Our own tiny little old Jerusalem right here, Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And I would challenge you that, that we cannot have a goal. We cannot, cannot, cannot have a goal to transform a community unless you know and understand as much as you can uh, about this community. Look, look around. I hear people fussing and fuming like what is horrible about their own life. Look around at where God has allowed us to live. The beauty and the serenity that exists in this place. The incredible and wonderful things that God has blessed us with. I'm literally telling you, like, go out there and hike and know the beauty of the Pennsylvania wilds that surround us. And understand and learn about what? The, the west branch of the Susquehanna River and understand the geography in this area and tell people about the trophy trout streams and climb Bald Eagle Ridge and hike or bike rails to trails. Learn about the hunting. I don't even like the hunt. Learn about it. Tell people. Become a student in, of the history of our own community here. That, that little tiny Lock Haven was the county seat of Clinton County. Know about the founding of LHU in 1870. Founded as a teacher's college. That it has grown. There's 4,000 students study in our own community. Learn about the history of William T. Piper and how that little tiny place was purchased as an abandoned silk mill. Realize that it was, it was purchased literally for $761. Did you know that? In 1937 by William T. Piper. And that is a what? It is, a, it is an international corporation. It was birthed right here. You have to kind of look around and see. That's what people are talking about. Learn about the flood of 72. I kept calling it the flood of 73. Don't make that mistake in Lock Haven. Listen to the stories. Listen to the wrestling tradition. Back-to-back -back women's softball championships from LHU and, and know who Robbie Gould is and know about Keystone Little League. And know the difference between a Central Mountain Wildcat and a Jersey Shore Bulldog and don't ever make the mistake. Learn about the frozen snot. I didn't even like saying that word. And you know that I go there. I've never run it. I probably never will. Sorry, Jay. And yet I go there every single year. And I cheer people on. I hand them Kleenexes because, like, you need this. That's our community. Get to know and pray for Will, William Bainey III, our, our mayor and our congressman, Tom Marino, and his wife. Praise the Lord that we have a new state 
Senator Stephanie Borowitz, who's a follower of Jesus, and her husband Jason is a pastor in our community and that they love the Lord. Pray for them. Pray for churches in our community that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know about Josh and Sarah who are privileged to visit with us today and encourage them and others. Know about others that what? People are abandoning churches. And they're dying all over the place because they've removed the full weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pray what? That the light of the gospel shines brightly. Support our local businesses, the firemen and policemen, and learn about all the Clinton County Fair, all of those things. So we, are, we, we, we understand our community, but we also need to understand why it needs to be transformed. It is not a secret even with the beauty that surrounds us of the unbelievable opioid epidemic that exists not just in our community, but in all of central Pennsylvania and many rural areas. That we lead, that we lead as a community where more little young women, more people are, are giving birth to babies who are addicted to, 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 to drugs, to drugs that babies, that, that our community leads almost in the nation per capita of arrest through DUI. That the statistic is true that one out of two families, two, one out of two couples that get married in our community and in divorce, that the average length of a marriage is 7.2 years. You have to understand why, because as people, what, we are surrounded by God's creative beauty and evidence of his hand, and yet it's still broken all around us, and that's where you and I come in. That's where we've been called to be a bright, shining light of alcohol abuse, the dysfunction, those that have suffered, they're hurting, and they're needing love, not in word not just in, in 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 dialogue i love you i pray for you no but coming alongside and ministering to them how am i doing that knowing and understanding my community third i know it's a long message we have no sunday school okay just tuck in tight here this is important we're about to turn the page on a new year Third question, how am I doing at telling my own transformed story? So we know that what? Um, we know that we've got to understand about our community. We've got to understand clearly about the whole idea of what it means to, to build relationships. And yet, how am I doing at even communicating, telling others what God has done in my own life? If you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your, of, of your life, you have a story to tell. Yeah, but it's not really that exciting. It's really not, you know, that impressive. Nobody has a more boring story than me, and I tell the same story over and over again. Tell your story and get good at telling your story. You're not boasting and bragging. What you're doing is you're giving all the glory to God. And what's neat is that every single person here has a story that's unique, that's different than the other one. The big ones we teach and we, we, we attempt to come alongside and we're educating people. Um, we're encouraging people how to write and to tell their own story. And because of the world that we live in, we try to actually tell them Make sure you tell your story in three minutes or less. I know that sounds crazy, but sorry. 
Like, like they, they want to hear your story, but they don't want to know about every single little detail. You're cool, okay? And I'm sure that your life is exciting. It's not that cool. It's not that exciting. And so I did this in three minutes. Actually, it took me, I timed it last night, two minutes and 42 seconds. But who's counting? Listen very carefully so that you understand what I'm talking about. Even a boring story, yet God's grace is amazing in my life, in all of our lives. I was born in Philadelphia. One day when I was a little boy, I was sitting on a bed helping my mom fold socks. Pretty riveting so far, isn't it? We were watching Billy Graham preach on television. And I heard something. I heard something so simple, even a little boy can understand. I heard this. Everyone is a sinner. And I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed someone to take care of my sin. I heard that that someone was Jesus. I heard the gospel. And I trusted Jesus. I didn't understand everything, but my journey began. I was very shy. I had a stuttering problem. I struggled in school. When I was seven years old, my parents began serving Jesus at a Christian camp in Canada. I didn't understand why we would move from Pennsylvania to Nova Scotia to do that. But I liked it. We talked about Jesus and we talked to Jesus. We learned to trust Jesus. I met a girl named Wendy at that camp, and I liked her, and I thought she was cute. She thought I was kind of a jerk. I realized I was kind of a jerk. I was an arrogant, self-absorbed, dumb jock. I tried to slowly convince her otherwise. I sat next to her in junior high, and we dated for several years in high school, and we went to the same college in Washington, D.C., and we talked about getting married. Her dad was a pastor. I thought, cool, he could marry us. We could save 100 bucks. Wendy said that she would marry me if I don't become a, a pastor. I thought, deal. All pastors do is read books and listen to people's problems, and I don't like to do either one of those things. I was still a jerk. We got married. I graduated from college. I began teaching and, and coaching baseball. We had two kids, and I was doing everything that I wanted to do with my life. One day I was teaching an eighth-grade geography class when I realized that my students, with complete boredom on their faces, didn't care about the average rainfall in Argentina. And I was shocked. I then realized, I don't care about the average rainfall in Argentina. Without being offensive to the Argentinian raisin farmers, I thought, how does knowing this information actually matter a thousand years from now? I finished my class. I walked down to the principal's office and said, I, I can't do this. I feel like I'm lying to these students by telling them that they need to know this information when I don't care if I know this information. He told me to talk to my pastor because they listen to people's problems. And I did. I talked with my pastor, and he didn't understand everything. But he prayed, but he prayed with me. 
And he prayed with Wendy. And I like that. I like him. Finished my contract. After four years of teaching and coaching, I resigned and I began to change. Wendy began to change. We began to see other people as more important than we saw ourselves. We began to pray together more. We began to read the Bible together more. We began to trust Jesus more. I was asked to speak at a small church in northern Maine, and I went, we went, and we were scared. But we fell in love with the people and with the message of the gospel. And we realized just like Jesus can change our life, he can change other people's lives. And I became the pastor of that little church. I went back to school. I did my graduate work. I was ordained. And I learned it's not what I want to do with my life. It's what God wants to do with my life. Now, more than 20 years later, I still don't understand it all. But I do understand that I'm a sinner. And Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sin and that he rose from the dead three days later so I can walk in a brand new life forgiven as a follower of Jesus. And I know Jesus transformed my life from being a scared, self-conscious, self-absorbed jerk to being a man who has been blessed, blessed by God's grace to have the greatest job in the entire world. And now I love to read books. And I love to listen to people's problems. And I love to pray with people. And most importantly, I love to share with them the simple truth of the gospel. And Wendy loves being married to a pastor. Although we're all sinners, there's someone who takes care of our sin. And that someone is Jesus. It's a simple story. How are you doing at telling your own transformed story? Fourthly and finally, uh, another question I want to leave you with is, how am I doing at trusting in the power of the gospel? The power of the gospel, the single most important component of our vision is the gospel. The single most important purpose for our existence as a local church is surrounded around the gospel. Without the gospel, we have nothing. Without the gospel, we are nothing. An atheist would claim that there is no God. An agnostic would, would claim that there is a God, but you can't really ever know him. And so you live your life and you die and you, you rot in the ground without meaning and without purpose. But not so with the gospel. A Buddhist, a Hinduist, a Sikhist would say, just think good things. Maybe you'll make it to nirvana. A cultist or legalist would say, do good things and you might have a chance of eternal glory. The most committed Islamist would say, remember to recite the Shahada, to pray and to give and to fast and to, to make your pilgrimage. Go on your Hajj. And then you've got a good chance maybe at paradise. 
but not so with the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that a holy, infinite, completely sovereign, all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God designed you. God created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Psalm 139. He created you to be in a relationship with him in heaven forever and ever. And yet shortly after God created mankind, man chose to sin, causing a separation, a huge gap between what? Man and God. Just like we sin. Just like we sin, but God still loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter about your backstory. From this moment, understand that God wants to be with you, to be in relationship with you. And he made a way to close that gap so that God came to earth for you in the humble form of a man whose name was Jesus. And Jesus grew and, 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 and Jesus died for you. And Jesus paid the price for your sin and for my sin on the cross that we simply could not pay. And Jesus rose from the dead three days later so that we too can walk in the newness of life. That in the gospel of Jesus, God forgives you. Forgives you for being a jerk. God, God tells you that you matter. And he's called you and he's commissioned you to have purpose to extend what? His kingdom for his glory. You see, the gospel gives us hope and meaning to live life here on this earth. And so now today we trust him. We trust God with the full power of the gospel to transform your life and tell others to do exactly the same. You understand a lot of times that we think like we have this really tough, I got to get like all of this Genesis Revelation, I got to get them somehow into them. They got to believe this, understand all of this and, and read all of this, every nuance. I tell you what, I'm still been studying for a long time, still learning, still reading. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit do the work. Let God speak through his word, love people, pray for people, tell them your story, care about what their lives are all about. But let the word of God and let the spirit of God do the work and be encouraged with that. I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, defend the Bible. <laughs> defend the Bible. I would rather defend a lion. He said, let it go. And it will defend itself. As we turn the page of the calendar year from 2018 to 2019, hold, hug tight to this. May God use us to have a little tiny part in praying, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your patience with us. I thank you, Lord, for every person that is here today and for the opportunity and the privilege you've given to us to be reminded of why we're here God, we plead, we beg, take now your Holy Spirit from us. Create in us, Lord, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Wash us, wash me. 
Lord, allow this church to be a bright, shining beacon that we are reminded it's not about what we want. It's not about us. It's all about you. May you bless this church. May they burst forth from this place, understanding the high privilege and calling of what it means to be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you be pleased with us. May you give us the strength that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please, as we close. Bye.